Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Philip Boone, and thank you for joining us today. We'll be sharing, discussing, and musing on the Melbourne Fashion Showcase, a special exhibition during Hong Kong Business of Design Week 2018, this December. That's what we'll be talking about today. So thanks for all being here. Um, I'd like to start today by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we meet and pay my respects to their elders past, present, and future. The largest ever international presentation of Victorian fashion is set to showcase in uh, Hong Kong this December as part of Hong Kong Business of Design Week, Asia's premier design event. Running from the 1st to the 9th, the Melbourne Fashion Showcase will see over 50 Victorian designers across three exhibitions and two showcases. We have two hashtags we'd like you to use today when posting on social media. They are hashtag MelbDesignHK and MelbFashionHK. So we hope you'll do that a lot. Um, now, I'd like to introduce you to, uh, today to our speakers. Uh, Michael Hudson, Director of Strategy, Screen and Design at Creative Victoria. Virginia Dowser, Curator and Creative Director. Sharina Clanton, Actor and Activist. Dave Giles Kay, CEO at Australian Fashion Council. Katrina Jockety, Manager, Creative Industries at Fashion and Textile Hub at Kangan Institute. And Kiri Deli, Associate Dean, Industry Engagement, School of Fashion and Textile at RMIT University. It's a lot, okay. <laughs> and I'm going to be working with the wind today, so excuse me if I have to uh, ad lib at any point in time. Um, I'll also be wearing two hats today, both hosting and also my work as a freelance creative director. I'll be talking about recognition, fashion film and exhibition, but more about that a bit later. The international spotlight will be on Melbourne as Hong Kong Business of Design Week's official partner city, presenting an amazing opportunity for Melbourne's most influential fashion designers and emerging brands to tell their story to the world. Melbourne will send its most outstanding design masters and influential fashion businesses and figures to Hong Kong, where they can use that valuable platform to exchange ideas, network and explore new business opportunities. The Victorian Government, through, uh, through Creative Victoria, is supporting the mission to promote local fashion into a global marketplace. And so to you first, Michael Hudson, can you tell us how Hong Kong Business of Design Week, Melbourne Partner City, came about? Thanks, Philip. Yeah. So it's been a very long um, campaign in the making. Actually, it goes back quite a number of years, probably five or six. Um, and government was not the first one involved, but um, industry associations led this from early on. But a few years ago, we started talking to the Hong Kong Design Centre, which runs Business of Design Week, and inquiring of them how one becomes a partner uh, city or partner country to their event. Um, they've been running this Business of Design Week from about 2004, so we're nearly up to 15 years. And throughout that journey, they've chosen partners uh, for the event to provide content um, and speakers and to run exhibitions. Um, and mostly they've chosen them from Europe, European nations and often design, I think probably always design leading nations. So Italy, Sweden, Norway, Finland, Denmark um, have all featured as partners, a couple of them on more than one occasion. And in recent years, Barcelona and Chicago have been the first cities to partner with Business of Design Week. So we follow um, as not only the first partner from the Southern Hemisphere, um, but only the third city. Um, and it's a really, really kind of big opportunity for Melbourne, which is the partner city, 
and for all of our design industry through Victoria um, to make an impression on the world um, and to use Business of Design Week as a platform for trade. So it's, um, it's a really important event. We've, put, we've been there in the last three years with um, relatively small exhibitions. Um, if you compare it to what we're doing this year, tiny exhibitions. Um, so we are now um, in this culmination year as partner. Uh, we have pretty close to 250 people coming in our delegation. Um, and that's from across a whole mix of design industries, design sector uh, in Victoria. I think most of you will be pleased to know that the single largest contingent represented is fashion. Um, and that's been, that's been a terrific... Um, in a way, they've, they've come, fashion designers have come down the straight um, and surprised everyone with that because uh, for the first few years, um, it was all about uh, interior designers and communications and product design um, and fashion, at least from Victoria, um, had, was a much smaller representation. Um, and it's been a really, really good development in the last 12 months because... As you would all know, Hong Kong has an ongoing love affair with fashion um, and China as well. Um, so uh, China, uh, including Hong Kong, is a really, really big and growing market for us. Very fertile ground. If, um, if businesses can understand how to do business there well, um, how to connect with the right networks and people. Um, and that is what this event is about. So it's a very international event. It brings speakers and... Um, country representatives from all over the world, but a lot of it from Europe and the US, um, and of course from China itself, from mainland China. Uh, and what we're trying to do in create this uh, partner city campaign is to build a platform for our designers um, to open doors which otherwise might not be opened, um, to provide events and activities that allow you to meet with business partners to make connections um, that wouldn't otherwise be there and to shine a massive light on Melbourne as a design centre, as a place where excellence in design um, can be observed and, and where worthwhile partnerships can be made. Um, so this is an incredible opportunity for us. In fashion itself, um, so there's two main venues that we'll be occupying um, just stop me if I'm going on. Philip. Well, no, you're leading me very well into the next question, um, which is can you share with us some of the trade events and exhibitions that are happening at this year's BODW? So oh, you should have go, given me those in advance. Go, Michael. Um, yeah, so two main, two main event, uh, uh, sites for us, which, um, from which we, we hope to do a lot of business networking um, and to develop trade. One is in the Hong Kong Convention and Exhibition Centre, and that's the main site for Business of Design Week conference. Uh, our exhibition there has got about 120 projects curated by the NGV um, and uh, it's an area where we hope will be one of the sort of uh, home bases for our delegation. Um, the other key site is uh, Mallory Street and that's about a 10 minute walk um, from the convention centre. Can I jump in there and just say let's uh, talk a little bit more about um, the Victorian Pavilion and everything at the Convention Centre first and then we'll go on to Mallory Street if that's okay with you. Uh, so several components to the exhibition at the Convention Centre. Um, as I said, there's a big, um, there's a shared values exhibition which the NGV's put together, 120 projects. 
Um, there's also 14 business um, trade, oh, we're calling it the business showcase, um, and they are businesses from our design sector who have elected to take a specific space for them. Um, so that's more or less uh, like a trade show, um, and that runs adjacent to our exhibition. And then there's a sort of networking and collaborative space right down the centre with two really big um, tables. The exhibition space itself was designed by Design Office, which is a local Collingwood company here. Um, and so the aim of this, uh, which has a lot of Melbourne references in the design of it itself, but the aim is to create a fairly open space, a place where, where to invite visitors in, long tables where we can have business meetings or collaborate or sit down and chat, recharge, um, and, and generally sort of use that as a, as a central meeting place. Um, I think it's important to say the two that's been curated by the NGVs, Ewan McEwen, which is amazing. And also, I was lucky enough to go last year with the Victorian delegation to Hong Kong. And I really think, I've seen the designs, I really think we're going to blow last year out of the water. I mean, they just bought a Lamborghini in. So, we'll be doing a lot more than that, the Italians. So, um, and then um, maybe we could talk a little bit about what, obviously, we're all here for, the Melbourne Fashion Showcase and at Mallory Street and maybe, you know, a, a little overview to start off with would be great if you could. Sure, yep. Well, I'll, if I can do a quick overview, you've got people here who are the experts yes. in, the, in the content. Uh, in fashion itself at Mallory Street, uh, we've got a couple of floors there of content. It's a cultural precinct um, and it's also the home base for the Hong Kong Design Centre City Program. So a design-focused program that runs in parallel with the conference um, and they'll be doing a lot of events there as well and bringing quite of activity to that space. We are the main, uh, the main attraction there, however, and we've got about 90 fashion designers all up, um, which again is just a massive representation and um, uh, really an astonishing response to, to this campaign, which we're so pleased about. Um, and you've got five separate exhibitions, five curators to my right, um, and a, a really impressive range of work, which I'm sure you'll hear a lot about today, including uh, one to my left, I might <laughs> say. Thank you. Um, is there something for you that's uh, been a challenge in uh, putting something of this size together? As if, I, I'm sure there's many, but something that you like to think that we maybe have uh, succeeded in, in that challenge? Uh, there are so many ongoing little <laughs> challenges. Um, the volume itself is, is a massive challenge. So 200 people, we're trying to keep track of, of people to offer them support and information so they can find their way around Hong, Hong Kong from um, uh, support as simple as do you need a visa um, and maps of the city, how to get around on the metro, which is a fantastic service, um, all the way up to more sort of detail around curating an exhibition or getting access to to insurance or um, after hours work, uh, security or, or you know all sorts of program um, little details um, and all of which will occupy us I think for the next uh, two or three weeks um, I've got a team back at work of about seven or eight people um, and we're occupied all pretty much full time on this now um, we have we all are too yeah I'm glad to hear it um, one of the highlights for me outside of the fashion space will be uh, a dinosaur. So I'm sure many of you will have heard of Creature Technology Company uh, that do the Walking with Dinosaurs exhibits. Um, they've just done Hong Kong, uh, sorry, they've King Kong, um, which previewed 
uh, which which I didn't preview, but it um, opened on Broadway last week. The reviews weren't great for the show, but the <laughs> gorilla got amazing reviews. Um, <laughs> the technology, the technology, yes. It's all about the tech. So um, we've got them with one of their smaller dinosaurs there that interacts with the crowd. So um, they'll be doing performances um, throughout the last few days, the Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Um, so that'll be one of my highlights as well. Uh, I was going to say, is, is there another highlight or something that you're particularly looking at coming to fruition other than, of course, the Melbourne Fashion Showcase? Well, the key thing for us, really, um, and it's perhaps a bit boring in a way, but this is a business um, trade mission at the heart of it. And while there's a lot of bells and whistles and glamour which we're using to create um, attention, what we're really interested in seeing is what happens as a result. So for individual businesses, for designers and other practitioners, we want to see business networks um, form partnerships. We know from smaller delegations that we've taken over the last couple of years that um, we've seen some real success with actual deals done while we're there. Um, and we really want to keep track of that because that's what, at the end of the day, I'll be reporting back to government on you know, what because the reason that we're all putting such a lot of time and resources into this is for um, our business and um, fashion sector benefit and the benefit of the rest of the design industry. Is there anything else you'd like to mention or, or talk about before we wrap up and go to questions? Um, well, I would like to acknowledge, I think, probably everyone here who's, um, who's contributed um, in such an enormous way, um, in some cases for many years. Um, it's been a team effort that, that in my time in government I don't think I've seen paralleled with um, support from associations in the industry and there are quite a few of them in design, it's a broad area. Uh, support from all the universities um, and a number of TAFEs who have also joined together um, in a collaborative way that I just haven't seen. Um, and it's meant that this campaign has been um, such a success in its development and I just think the execution of this is going to be something to behold. So if you haven't booked a ticket to Hong Kong, please get out there and, and join us. And Exactly. And Hong Kong is such a great, vibrant city. It's like one of... I think it's New York of, the, of, of Asia and it's, it's always exciting. It's always frenetic. It's always go, go, go. And it's something to be experienced, I think, for, for creatives particularly. Um, Okay, I might throw it to anyone in the audience who would have a question or any of our panel that has a question for Michael at all. Don't worry, it's not Q&A, Michael. We'll be fine. <laughs> um, so if the goal is to have the uh, designers and to showcase uh, the work from Australia in that marketplace, is it also to encourage people to come to Australia and discover more things that are happening in Australia as well? It's just not reaching out to that market and expecting people to go there, but encouraging people to come to Melbourne as well? Really good question, yeah. Um, so um, one of the things that we've... Uh, one of the ways we've approached this from the outset is as a long-term partnership with Hong Kong. So um, it's really, whilst it feels like it's all about this event in December for a week, uh, this is a, a, um, something that's the result of a relationship that's been developing over several years and that we see as something that will go into the long term. We've had delegations from Hong Kong already come to Victoria on two or three occasions in the last 18 months to two years. Um, in one case, 22 of them at once. Um, we've had some of their emerging designers um, show their work and sell their work through the NGV shop. 
Um, and likewise, we've got designers selling through pop-ups over in Hong Kong. So I see that happening more and more, and it's something that we're really encouraging our local designers um, to do to, to encourage relationships that bring people back here. Um, and it's something that we're talking to the government, the relevant government, body, government bodies over there, so that we can start to bring um, business into Melbourne, um, and so we don't have to be the ones always heading overseas. That's a really good point. And, and, oh, and I'd like to put the sort of um, university hat on as well, because we see it as a great opportunity to get local Hong Kong students over here studying and sort of um, what's fantastic about fashion is it is such an international, global um, opportunity and that sort of connections and diversity that gets from studying in other places. Um, I'll talk a little bit more about some of our students that are going, but having them understand the vibrancy, the diversity of design here in Melbourne and how they can be a part of that by coming and spending time and studying here is another reason why I think there's that two-way um, relationship that can happen as well. So our theme um, for this year, which I didn't mention at the outset, is uh, think, uh, collaborate, create. So right in the middle of that is collaborate and um, that's a really, that's not just a word. Um, we're really using that as a basis for how we structure activities, how we've put the exhibition together and what we hope will come out of it. So it's a real effort to join people together um, and to create value from that. Yeah, thank you, Michael. Is there any other questions before we move on? We actually have two hours, but I think we might use up every second of that. Um, Michael has to leave us in a minute, but hopefully he can stay for the, a, little bit, a little bit more. Um, I want to move on to um, Virginia Dowser and We Are Luxury, an exhibition of nearly 40 leading artisans and makers who represent a new luxury born in Melbourne. Handpicked by creative stylist and creative director Virginia Dowser, designers such as Martin Grant, Tony Matovchesky, Jason Gretsch and Linda Jackson will be on show. This exhibition will amplify Melbourne's subculture and thriving trade of bespoke creation and unique design. Virginia, welcome. Thank you. We are all here because of you, so thank you so much. Thank um, you for on coming. On a balmy Tuesday afternoon. I know, uh, I just want to acknowledge that... Um, all of the designers obviously are invited and know about today and I don't think it's lack of interest in not coming. I just think it's testament to how hard designers work and they all really are busy but I'd just like to acknowledge Cara Baker in the audience and also the Huxleys who are coming over to Hong Kong and are part of the exhibition. Thank you. Yes, I hope my designers are working hard too. Um, welcome to all our designers and oh good, a technical issue, great. Um, while everyone deals with that over there, we'll start with you. Um, I wanted to ask you the first question, which is the importance of luxury in a global marketplace and why this is important for Melbourne. Um, this is very important for Melbourne because we can't compete on a, on, on a cheaper level. There's lots of countries around the world doing that and there's no reason why we need to even enter into the marketplace. And as the world becomes more divided between the rich and the poor, um, the opportunity for really beautiful luxury made-to-measure custom orders is a really thriving business. And that's the industry that we as a nation, because of our population, should be concentrating on. I think um, also if any of our designers are in the audience, particularly and specifically to and, and artists uh, specific to... Virginia's uh, We Are Luxury exhibition, 
please feel free to enter this conversation. We'd love you to have um, your say as well. Um, yes, and just, just another hard-working designer, Anastasia Lafay, has just turned up. Thank you. <laughs> Incredibly hard-working. Thanks for coming. So please join the conversation. Um, okay, so experience over expense. What does this mean in terms of the luxury fashion market? So this is a really interesting um, phenomenon that's taking place. When, when people have got a lot of money, it isn't really uh, a, a, important to them if they own something that somebody else next to them owns. So, for example, a pair of Gucci loafers that people line up for um, and thousands of people ha um, own them. And if you want to separate yourself from that kind of what is becoming a new mass market, even though it's a luxury designer new mass market, um, then the, the, you know, what you would do is have um, a custom order. I think as well, with all of the talk of um, the environment, wastage, how many designer items are, are burnt or put in landfill because they're not, the, the orders aren't filled, um, people will have to have a new way of shopping, so they'll have to actually order it. They have to wait for it, be patient for it, have it made to measure. So ateliers will have um, busts and shoe forms of people who go back to the old atelier, how they used to work. And so your body will be 3D printed and kept in the ateliers of the designers and, that, and they will make to order. Um, right across the world for you and send to you um, probably via Australia Post. Is that a plug? <laughs> it's one of my clients, plug it. Um, okay, and, and I suppose um, I'd like to involve uh, the designers that have rocked up here uh, now, actually, if I could. One of them's Cara Baker over there. Other one is Anastasia Lafay. Um, I suppose to you both, and maybe we'll have our mic ready for your, um, maybe to you, Anastasia, I know I've thrown you right in the deep and as soon as you have, uh, have arrived, um, is to talk a little bit about what you do and in, in a brief form, if you can, and how special it is to keep it in Melbourne. Um, okay, so first of all, I approach what I do as an art. Um, my background and my interest initially was an, as an artist, but I was also really obsessed with garments and their history, um, both in regard to make and also in regard to um, stories and how they document personal stories and how they document political stories as well. And there's a really, really interesting um, history of that. And also in regard to the fact that apart from the human touch, the first touch that every human being has is that of cloth. So there's a really interesting sort of psychological effect with that. The thing that I, I've just turned 47, the thing that I discovered was at that time when I was doing my practice, there wasn't space in an art world for garment work. So I began working in costume and couture. Um, also, which there isn't a big market for here. So for me, the approach is as a maker. Um, I pursue my work for myself first and foremost. It's completely self-indulgent. <laughs> and um, and it's, it, the thing that I've found really interesting is it's only just now, after dedicating myself to... I started making clothes when I was eight years old. 
um, dedicating myself to that craft. It is only now, in the last probably 18 months, that I'm actually starting to see any kind of real recognition for that. And the interesting thing is the biggest reason people are interested in my work is it doesn't look like anything else that is out there, that it is all handcrafted, that it takes a long time to make, that there's a lot of consideration behind it and someone knows they're purchasing something from me that um, someone else hasn't got. And that's a really huge thing. Um, and so it's at this stage absolutely not financially viable what I do. I'm not making a brand, so my approach is probably quite different than a lot of people who view their things, their work as fashion, but the really interesting thing is it's now spanning across both of those worlds. Sure, thank you. Thanks, Anastasia. Um, and maybe Cara Baker, I know you're on opposite ends of... with poodle in hand. Cara, can you please share with us uh, a little bit about your business and um, how it fits into the We Are Luxury exhibition, briefly? <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I do design collections. Uh, they're m probably 50% uh, vintage or um, upcycled fabrics, so I do come across um, supplies every now and again. I have a huge collection of beautiful... Um, I only work in wool, cotton, silk and linen and mixes of those, and um, I think probably 50% of my fabrics are, are upcycled, I think it's probably the current word. So I don't wholesale or retail, I sell to private clients, and those clients uh, try on garments from the collection, but then they can choose uh, fabric of their colour and uh, pattern choice, uh, you know, whatever obviously I think's... Um, appropriate for that style and then the garments are made to measure so everything is made whether it's just a hem length or a sleeve length uh, I don't alter designs I mean if someone does request to change I'll consider it but only if I think it doesn't compromise the design uh, so um, besides just simple alterations to uh, proportions I do a lot uh, of fitting as well so I've ended up with some very tall women, some very petite women, and everybody in between. Um, and I must say from their feedback over the last nine years, uh, having clothes made to measure is quite addictive. Um, I just got some fantastic feedback. I'll just end with this from um, Anne-Marie Kiley, the um, design writer for Vogue Living, who is a very loyal client. And she was just in New York with quite a lot of my pieces. And she got stopped uh, more than three times by very fashionable women and men, asking where did she get her clothes? Um, because they don't really look like, uh, I don't, I design with um, a wink or a nod to trends, but if something's very right on now, I keep right away from it. And so my clothes have a, uh, a kind of an, their own DNA or handwriting or whatever you want to call it. That um, it's, I would say it was quite discreet. Um, I aim for elegance, but they definitely get noticed in other countries where um, obviously that kind of look isn't on offer. Thank you. Um, back to you, Virginia. Um, hotspots and a global perspective, what this means for the creative people of Melbourne? Um, I find this really interesting. My father actually read a book um, which was called After America. It's actually written by a 
an author that's originally from Melbourne, and was written some time ago. But basically, the the philosophy behind it was that in the future, American America hasn't worked it out yet. But there's no big main superpower anymore. Superpower isn't about one life force or one country. It's about hotspots around the world, and it's about individuals that make up those hotspots. And I think that. When um, you look at Melbourne, when you look at um, the city of Melbourne, when you look at um, Creative Victoria and when you look at arts funding and the history of that in, in the state of Victoria, um, this has prompted platforms for artists, designers and makers to, to be able to exist. And I find that a really um, interesting concept and it's only coming out now. You know, what's been in the past has been a lot of hard work by artists, but I do note that there are quite a lot of artists, designers and makers moving to Victoria because we've already got established studios here and we've, we've got a voice in making and art and design and art in fashion and jewellery. And I don't think that is comparable with any other state in or territory in Australia. And I do... I, f I feel that Melbourne is a hotspot and Melbourne has a big, big voice and I'm looking forward to um, sharing that in Hong Kong. I wouldn't mind just talking to the Huxleys for a second. They're here. They have got three exhibits. They're phenomenal performing artists. Phenomenal. If you can just expl yeah, explain a little phenomenal bit about Phenomenal performing artists and costume designers. They really lead in um, costume design and performance art. Um, we're really lucky to have them in the state of Victoria. We're very lucky they haven't moved anywhere else. And I think it's testament to the support in the state of Victoria that they get that they're actually still here because I can tell you now, 10 years ago, they wouldn't be. They would have upped and gone. And um, I think it's a privilege to have them in the exhibition. They are coming over and they are um, performing at the opening. They have a video in the show and they also have two costumes. Would you like to talk to us about that? Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, we're, we're very excited to be involved. Um, it, we don't really think of ourselves as fashion designers. We're, we started making ridiculous costumes for ourselves, something that was completely out of this world. We wanted to, our whole thing is around escapism and luxury and outrageous and we just decided to put that into the world. People didn't necessarily embrace it, but we did it because we loved it. And over the time, people have come around to it. So it sort of spoke to us about the idea that pursue what you love and eventually people will come to you and they'll say, they'll catch on. Um, and Melbourne is such a warm place, especially in the arts. There's a lot of people that are, you know, have been struggling, but they keep working because they're surrounded by other artists that lift them up and encourage them and we're lucky to have that support and that's what's so special about Melbourne um, and it just pushes you to keep making these outrageous things and making them a reality and over the last couple of years we've had support by people commissioning us to perform people like Virginia and Philip you know, in making you inviting you to perform at parties and showing the world what you make um, and we love doing that and to be able to take that to Hong Kong Hopefully some people in Hong Kong <laughs> will love what we do and we'd like to... We're also on the lookout for some more outrageous fabric because we're sort of running low 
in Melbourne at the moment. I think you should find that quite easily. <laughs> I, I, I think you'll find it. I did send a video link over to um, Hong Kong of, um, of the Huxley's and they wrote back and said, we find this fascinating. <laughs> and so do we. I think you're right about Melbourne being like 15 years ago or so, you would have had to leave this place and go to somewhere like London or New York that you thought was bigger and, you know, was this the kind of arts that we're involved in really thrived. But it doesn't feel like that anymore. We I feel like we have a brilliant community here. And we moved to Sydney a little while ago and we came back very quickly. And <laughs> so, yeah, we don't have plans on going anywhere. It's good for us. Very good. Um, this is an interesting segue, but anyway, um, these are your questions, Virginia, so I'll follow with them. Um, why is it important to push your own brand? Oh, and I know I, you want to refer okay. to someone. Th who this is kind of quite important, and I did think that Lisa Rowett was going to be here, but if there ever is an... Oh, here she is. Can we throw to Lisa Rowett, please? Um, how, um, she's another a beautiful jeweller and a beautiful artist who's coming to Hong Kong for um, the exhibition. Um, you might know her work from Pieces of Eight. She does the incredible chimpanzee busts and incredible chimpanzee fingers, jewellery. Um, a very, very beautiful artist and we're lucky to have her in Melbourne as well. Um, I think that what happens is sometimes that um, creatives are so busy creating that they say, I'm part of this. I'm part of Melbourne Fashion Week. I'm part of coming to Hong Kong. So that's it now. And I think what you have to do is you have to be part of it and then you've got to push, push, push your own barrow because nothing is better and more um, trained than your, own, than, than your own knowledge of your own brand. And I think if you're relying on other people to push for you, you'll get me. You'll get Philip, you'll get, you'll get all of the guys, you'll get people that see the exhibition. But um, Lisa Rowett is a really an incredible um, forger of this kind of um, way of working. An artist who works on her own and pushes for more from people and, and pushes for more from um, her own kind of advertising, social media... Um, Shall I Promotion. ask? Shall we ask Lisa that question? Um, how you know why is it important to push your own brand as an artist? Uh, I think I think when you're someone working with the subject matter of apes and monkeys <laughs> in Australia, that's the only way you can do it in a way. Um, I started off working overseas, so my first exhibiting was in between Europe and New York. So I had two very good galleries, and I actually moved back here 17 years ago. So. I understand what you're talking about as far as Melbourne developing and changing and, and being a place that you can work from. Um, but it is somewhere, you know, I have, to, I, I have to push my own barrel because I haven't really had that many people pushing it for me. So it's a very idiosyncratic world that I live in and with my work that I have it. And I, I feel that that's, you know, it's got, a, <laughs> it's got a global sort of feel that I feel that I can take it anywhere and the s people respond to it in the same way as they do here. Um, whereas sometimes when you're coming from Australia, you've got a sort of s an aesthetic that maybe is difficult overseas or it, it translates differently. But I think, um, yeah, I think, you know, I I'm probably the best advocate to, to pushing it through my own channels. 
I think that's a really good point to make because um, I, I think a lot of artists and people, who, designers who are sort of on the the edge of, of, of wherever, um, tend to think a brand, the name brand or branding as being a bad thing, but you can define your own brand, I think, and it's incredibly important to be viable. You need to have that, you need to have that visibility um, and the visibility isn't always, you know, thrown in your lap, as you're saying, and so you have to go out and get that. But you can create your brand as, you know, I mean, we all know very eccentric people who would never consider them some, themselves commercial, but they are viable and they are successful. So, thank you. I, I, I think it's important because I think that, you know, sometimes you work away in your studio and you're so... Um, you don't get so much feedback and you're sitting there thinking, nobody's listening. Nobody's listening. I've been banging on about this <laughs> for years and nobody's listening. And all of a sudden someone, you'll cross paths with somebody and say, oh, that's you. I've been watching your work for some time. And I really think, you know, pl please be aware, you, you, you're never on your own. People are listening and people love seeing beauty and love seeing um, people progressing. They don't necessarily tell you, um, but people are listening to everyone who's... In, in the exhibition, particularly to everyone who's in the exhibition. Is there anything else you'd like to say about, specifically about We Are Luxury at the Melbourne Fashion Showcase? Oh, it crosses three rooms, beautiful rooms. One's called Opal. Uh, the other is called the Kangaroo Skin Room. And the other is the Golden Room, uh, which Lisa's work is in. Uh, Anastasia's is in the Kangaroo Room, I think. And the Huxley's, I think, is in there also. Um, Linda Jackson's in the Opal Room. Um, they've got kind of a crossover of really beautiful artists, designers and makers, jewellers, performing artists, um, costume designers. Um, a kind of a mishmash, it looks like on a list, but, but actually they're all integral to each other. And the beauty of curating the exhibition is you ask all of these people to be involved and then you go and visit them or you get the, whatever they've designed handed to you and it links with the other people who are in the exhibition so closely and you know that this is a movement that's happening and that's super exciting to see. Thank you. Um, is there any questions from the audience to... Oh, Justin, you're very questiony today. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so just cycling back to something you said earlier about the global market and being a global mass market and having to come into that with... Uh, major behemoths like LVMH and all of those and you're offering um, you know kind of a bespoke um, design now but how coming up against those major brands that have such a you know massive impact and influence and all of the um, all of the materials available to them to push their 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 product, um, being a bespoke designer or company or something like that, how does that happen um, when you have to come up against that type of force and keep I, pushing yeah. to be able to get yourself known I know. when you don't yep. have the advertising budget, when you don't have people just, you yeah. know, knocking on your door? Yeah. I think it's... Look, I think that... The, these, these two prongs to the, to the question, and one is they're dinosaurs. 
and these designers are live nymphs who can react really quickly to what's happening. And I think that they have the power and, and they actually have, have the, the benefit of being kind of one-man bands. Do you know, to change something in a big company is, is huge. Um, if these guys want to change something, it's within a second. I think that's a super advantage. Um, getting the voice, getting the voice out there. Hopefully, we're going to we're going to be shouting for them. Uh, but I think that I, I know what you mean. But I think that people are really looking for new things. People are seeking them out. People are hungry for new. And luxury and is being redefined as bespoke. And that's right. And even, I think even in the Chinese market as well too, which yeah. we've spoken about a lot. So, yeah. yeah, so people are on the ground hunting for people. So it's just a matter of keeping on, making sure you're, you're visible on Instagram, you're visible on social media, visible on LinkedIn is a big thing in, in Hong Kong and, and Asia. Um, and I think if you just keep on um, promoting your brand, word of mouth, people are doing tiny little runs for things. It's like we need... Jimmy Choo started, you know, and then all of a sudden he made a pair of shoes for Sophie Loren. Now he sells um, not made to measure. But it used to be that he was only custom. He only did custom orders only with Chanel, only custom orders originally. And I think it, it's really going back to that and I think it has to. Kiri, you Yeah, just touching on that as well. I think when we're talking luxury now, we're talking the new luxury, which is going to be a completely different experience I think you know Australia is at a really exciting time we're on the cusp of sort of going out there um the dean of our school um, professor Robin Healy's just come back from um America and she said she was really interested that they were interested in hearing more about how we are fostering and supporting the SME the micro business the way that we are creating these opportunities for our own kind of luxury we don't have the heritage or the history but we have this vibrancy this way of collaborating together Together, which I think is you know, perfect for why we're talking about this and this way of our sort of can do and the fact that we will go and we will be out there and we will take things but create it in our own way and I think luxury is really going to be all about those relationships the way that we as our brand are true and authentic to ourselves and I think we're going to find I say watch in the next couple of years just that real change in the way that the big guys are going to be learning from the little guys on just how to how to create that and how working with students, working with emerging is really going to be part of, you know, what they're doing. They're talking to us now. They want to they want to understand what talent, what ideas are coming out. So it's really exciting time. This is perfect timing. And do you think that's Not in a sense. I, th I think if you're a billionaire, you don't want to sit next to Andrew and have the same suit on as him. I, I think it's, it's, it's social standing. It's also people who are, who are being educated about the unique and the, and the arts and being more sophisticated customers. Um, people who are really sophisticated at, at what they collect, collectors. And sophisticated, not in, oh, they got this in blah, but no, there's this person and they're sitting in there and they're making it and they love it and they've got a factory, a, a studio in Brunswick and they've been there for, you know, and they're working with this, but so it's a different type of sophistication. I agree with Virginia. And that's also coming through in the Chinese market as well too, where there are actually 
they're going ahead very, very rapidly, I think, with, um, in, particularly in the luxury brand, because of the rising middle class, all buying Gucci, all buying these brands that were defined as luxury, but really now are almost the middle area. So um, we're going to move on. Um, any other questions from anyone in the audience before we move on? Because um, we are going to lose Michael in a little bit. Um, okay. All good. Um, okay. I feel like I'll be putting on dual hats here. But anyway, so I'd like to introduce and I'd like to uh, throw to my good friend, Sharina Clanton and collaborator, um, Recognition the Fashion Film and Exhibition. Recognition of First People's Fashion Exhibition will feature the work of five designers and a fashion film curated and produced by Melbourne-based creative director, me, um, and shot in Hong Kong by award-winning film and animation director, Helen Clements. The film will launch at Business of Design Week, featuring First People's models set against the city's iconic backdrop, drawing parallels to Melbourne's own urban design and culture. Now, I'm sort of going to be answering my own questions here, but I'm going to throw to Sharina first. Sharina, uh, I asked to come on board when we were producing the, the very initial parts of recognition, before we even had a name. Um, and we, uh, myself and Helen Clements, uh, the director of the fashion film, um, knew that we had to work with a cultural advisor. And so I suppose I'm going to throw to you and, and talk to you about your experience with the film, which we produced in September on very long days <laughs> and dodged a typhoon or two, um, the worst in 60 years. Um, and, and ask you, Sharina, about how important for you as a First Peoples artist and performer, uh, how important that cultural advisor was to a film such as Recognition. I firstly need to acknowledge that I'm standing in and on Wurundjeri and Bunurong country and I'm not from Victoria. I'm a Wangatha Yamiji and Noongar Gija woman from Wajak Noongar Buja, so Perth. Uh, my grandfather is from Baladong country and I've now called Melbourne my home for about five, six years now. Uh, Philip came to me with uh, a, kind of a few complexities because they realised that they can't make content about Indigenous peoples without including Indigenous peoples, especially things regarding uh, cultural stakeholdership, cultural storytelling, positioning Indigenous peoples and stories and histories and fabrics and, our, and how we've been able to transfer 80,000 years onto textile and then present that into an international marketplace without incorporating Indigenous peoples in the creative team. So I was very meticulous in making sure that in the pre-production and post, I would be across, a, across the entire thing. I ended up, I understood the concepts and working as an artist myself, as an actor, I'm not in fashion, but I wear your clothes to award ceremonies and whatnot, the ones that fit me. We won't well, touch upon that in a second. Um, and I, I'm, I'm very much about positioning various voices, especially in pr and privileging Indigenous voices. And it was important that I had the understanding of what was trying to be achieved, not from a white director or from a white creative 
uh, consultant and, and creative director, but also how we co-collaborate together and how we were, what the, what the end result was wanting to look like, which was a fantastic, amazing film in 90 seconds that has never been done before. And I'm all about pushing the envelope. I'm always about, okay, and what next? And so what else? And so I think, thankfully, I've been in the arts long enough that I was able to kind of contextualise what, what the vision that was uh, wanting to create and what the stories were telling from the, from the, from the artist's own perspectives, not dictating my own um, superimposed idea of what they were trying to say with their art and their collection. Um, and so then I wrote the film the dialogue for it in about 15 minutes, it just came to me. And then I knew that was then the right project to be involved in because it shouldn't be difficult. There should be also a joy and an ease and a love to do what you do and contribute. So I was like, look, um, I'm going to come on board under the guise of this, this and this and this. And my cultural advisor role, potentially, would you think of incorporating a First Nations person from... Wurundjeri or Bunurong country because I'm not from there. I know that. And they go, no, Sharina, it's someone with your experience and your skill set and also being an Indigenous woman and a, and a woman of culture, To we need to be including you into this process. And so it was a... It became a really organic process, didn't it, Philip? It just... It was like, okay, um, what... Like, how do we amalgamate all of these incredible ideas and visions uh, into 90 seconds. And then how do we then position, like it kind of perplexed me, we were in the river and you're seeing this amazing prints and you can tell that that's there from their song lines or from their stories or from their community. And it's just against the backdrop of this kind of huge urban cultural hybrid technological metropolis that I'd never seen before. And I was blown away because I was in Hong Kong. I've never been to Hong Kong. I've certainly travelled, but I was like, whoa, this is just next level. they got phone chargers in the back of their seats. <laughs> um, so I was really excited about what this could do in terms of visibility and positioning of our people and our stories. And I realised how much it was much bigger than the project that we initially thought about yes. and how much it was going to hopefully impact into the fashion sector and, and world because this goes beyond ticking the boxes and I made it very clear. You can't just... I'm really tired of the word diversity being thrown about. It needs to be immersive and it needs to be inclusive and we need to be included in part of the decision-making process and part of the creative dialogue as well. It's collaboration. And I was very... Uh, clear that within this sets the bar because often people go it's too difficult it's too hard it's too expensive I don't have the time let's just throw a black in there essentially that's what they do because they do it for film and television so the arts this this arts is no different um, so we're going against the grain is us going, okay, well, how do we shift the narrative? How do we flip the scripts, essentially? How do we, at the same time, uh, create this immersive experience internationally and nationally as well so that it's going to have a ripple effect later on? 
I understand this is a business. I understand there's financial ecology at state. I understand that a lot of the time us artists are doing things for free or struggling from the ground up. But this was a chance and an opportunity to go, okay, beyond that, there is a chance for us to create something where we can all put our, co all put our kind of talents together and create something which I think I'm, very, I'm really, really proud of. Yeah, we're, we're super excited to show it to you. Um, it, uh, I'll backtrack a little bit and thank you, Sharina. That's really eloquently said um, a lot uh, about the project. Why I thought of doing initially a fashion film for this part of the exhibition and obviously for a First Peoples fashion um, uh, project was that in the Asian market, that is the number one way to sell fashion, high fashion, cutting edge, fa cutting edge fashion, contemporary fashion, from the H&Ms to the Shanghai Tangs to the, you know, ID, the, the all, all, um, all businesses, fashion businesses, are now showing fashion films as their main focus. And obviously for us taking an exhibition into a, a very saturated, and I would say jaded market, um, which is Hong Kong and Asia. I thought we really need to shock them. My idea also was we could do a really beautiful and amazing um, indigenous focused fashion film supporting fashion designers of indigenous background um, in Australia or in Melbourne. But it's sort of expected and what I needed and what I wanted from it was that it was unexpected that we would have two amazing talented uh, First Peoples artists, Tazia Zalar and Nathan Maguire, our stars of the fashion film, in Hong Kong. Why are they there? What, 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 why are you doing this? What, what's, this is slightly jarring to what the audience sees. And I think that it has to be arresting at some point in time, even though we were almost arrested, weren't we? No. Um, <clears throat> we were closed down, but, no, almost closed down by the police, but anyway. Um, but we fought through. In our, on our, in our, our Hong Kong film, yeah, film shoot. We weren't, we weren't. Don't worry, Michael, it's fine. Um, and <laughs> um, no international incidents needed. But no, um, but I think that's the, 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 the basis of this project going forward was that it had to be about two individuals representing the best of fashion um, from, the, from this fashion, this emerging fashion community, but that it is also their connection to country, and Sharina can talk to this a lot more than I can. Um, but that, that, was a, that was a start off point for us, and by that being our major focus, and by that also having legs past a fashion exhibition in a different city that would run for a couple of weeks and then no one sees it anymore, this fashion film goes beyond that and for me working and mentoring um, uh, indigenous fashion designers is it's really important that this is not project based that this is has a longevity to it and that we are really creating a fashion community within a fashion community that can have clear pathways um, I suppose um, what I need to do is ask my own questions to myself, um, <laughs> is also uh, to bring attention to the fashion designers that, that are being featured and showcased in recognition of the fashion film, is um, Walia Swimwear, Deanne Gilson, Peter Waffles-Crow and Vincent Lee, 
now, I'm now I'm having blanks because I don't have it written in front of me. Um, Christy Dickinson and Alexandra Black and Lisa Wop and Ingrid Werner. And so the collaboration part of it was really, really important. Um, I think obviously for what we're talking about in the greater part of um, Business of Design Week and Melbourne as a partner city is a collaboration is, is, is super important for that. But also I wanted us to connect those pathways that weren't there and hopefully solidify them going forward. Um, yeah. I, I just avoid tokenism. Like yes. it's so exhausting to have to navigate and it's, it's important for us uh, to realise that it's, um, it's about stepping into the next level because we, we, we should know more and, it's, and we should be doing more. And it's interesting because I, like at the Logies, at Actors, I try and, because my frame is not as, fits into a particular European aesthetic, so I've got boobs, I've got bum, I've got thighs, I've got shoulders. That often does not fit into a particular template that a lot of the Australian designers have, which is size six, tiny little swimwear models looking. That's not realistic. As artists, I love supporting new emerging designers. I love do, like wearing something that not everybody else can access. And I love working and collaborating with new emerging designers so that their, their work is then photographed on the red carpet. But then I, don't, I struggle to have access to them. And then with an as an Indigenous woman working in there and having that access and opportunity and space to do that, I have other artists and actresses of the same calibre asking me, who do I go to? Who do you know? I'd love to wear that for the next red carpet or, or um, film premiere. How do I get in touch with them? And I go, I'm, I don't know. Like, you know, I go... Well, this is the top five people that I know. Um, check out their stuff on Instagram or check out their stuff on... And they'll ask me, do they have an Instagram account? And I go, I don't know. And so sometimes the visibility of seeing some of your work is hard too. Um, and then having access to the, your, your stuff, um, which will... Sometimes there's a budget. Sometimes people have hire publicists, say they hire stylist if you can afford that. Or sometimes if there's a network or, for example, Foxtel will pay for my design, my, the artist to, and designer to make something custom made, but that is very rare. Um, I just insisted and I demanded um, because it was a new Indigenous emerging um, artist and, and talent. Can I, However, can like, I jump in there because it's leading us to what I'd, I'd love you to talk about more um, and obviously it's an incredibly loaded question but um, why do you think that we don't see more Indigenous fashion faces out there in the media? Because it's just about visibility. It's just we get told constantly that we're not welcomed and, that, and beyond the kind of physical tokenism... Uh, Whereby, unless you, again, are the tall um, indigenous woman from the middle of the outback that we've sourced from this remote community, um, or that you are a particular size, then often we're told that, well, as a result, we don't want you to wear our stuff. And so the actors go, well, I won't. I just won't. Um, and so they, I think there's a... There's conversations that need to be had on both sides 
here. Um, not just in making the clothes, one, more accessible, and two, catering towards larger women. And I'm not a large woman, but like women who have very different aesthetics um, to, the, to the similar templates that seems to be not everybody, but the majority of designers are working from. But also that it's important to position Indigenous peoples and talents and artists and stories that shows how different we, different we really are. Because we have very different stories, we have very different experiences, we have very different backgrounds, very different language groups, song lines, history, and that all needs to be starting to be supported to come to the forefront. Re beyond the, look at us just getting one person of colour on front of the magazine, we've ticked our diversity quota for the year. Do you know, I'm, I, it's important to go beyond that. And you have to be brave to do that. Like I'm doing that in my sectors as much as I can. But then it also comes to working with designers who also want to take that next step. Thank you. Um, I also, as part of this project, was uh, that we helped support a uh, business called Jura Models. And, our, um, and she's nodding her head at me right now, but I'm going to ask her a small question. Um, is Perina Drummond has set up the first ever Indigenous-focused uh, modding agency called Jira Models. And we went through regional Victoria to, uh, to source and, and really have a look at who was out there. Can I just ask you one small question, Perina? Um, how important do you think it is for those Indigenous faces to be seen in the broader fashion community? Um, yeah, so I... Um I started Jira Models about 18 months ago selfishly because I wanted to work with Aboriginal models. Um, growing up as an Indigenous person in this country and seeing um, people other than my, my people in front of, um, uh, for photo shoots and all that sort of stuff, um, it was a bit daunting. And then like it really created that, um, that separate sort of world in my mind as well, like a world that was unreachable. So growing up with that, um, uh, and you know, wanting to work in fashion was quite distant for me, um, something that was unreachable. Um, but I, I took a punt and I started working in the industry about five years ago. Uh, and then, yeah, um, as a stylist and a model myself, um, and then growing into owning this model agency now um, here in Melbourne, um, creating that opportunity that wasn't once there. And I, I'll echo as well for Melbourne and in Victoria that. We do have a really strong community in fashion um, and a lot of people supporting this drive for like a, a more inclusive, um, indigenous focused and really building what Australian fashion can be um, going towards the future. Um, and having, having faces, um, Aboriginal faces and Torres Strait Islander faces uh, within our community here in Australia and international, um, that does speak a lot of um, strength um, and it really does reaches out to a lot of communities, uh, not just Melbourne, but the remote communities that I visit for work as well. Um, it speaks a uh, hundred times, um, the confidence boost, um, just a, a life change almost, um, seeing another, another Aboriginal girl or Aboriginal guy in media. Um, yeah. It's, be it's beyond time. It's so, I mean, we should be having Indigenous faces, Indigenous models all over. Or people of colour. Or people of colour in general. But I, I just... True, it's true. And people might be feel really uncomfortable and feel like I'm a, attacking them. Well, that's your comfort levels you're going to have to navigate. 
Um, I, I'm saying this as a truth, right? Australia's looking pretty stupid with its lack of inclusivity on an international market. You just putting a couple of Sudanese models or a couple of people of colour on your, onto your, um, as options for your garments or people of one plus size model and we think that's being progressive. That needs to be across the whole board in terms of creative processes, in terms of decision making, in terms of creating new projects which are beyond what we've seen for the past 20 years. Because it is time and it is necessary and we need to start doing it today. And it brings it up. I mean, I, I use this every bloody time I can. Um, is that Edward Ennefil at British Vogue has really changed the way that internationally we view a, what beauty is. And we have a really, really excellent opportunity to be able to do that here with so many amazing Models, we just need to get behind it, and it does need to have does need to be the movers and shakers that do need to grab onto that. Kiri, you're dying we, to say something. <laughs> we've just done a, a project with our um, third year of our Bachelor of Fashion Design Honours, which took it a little bit further again, and it was about questioning shape, body, gender, and we basically gave them the task of designing outfits for a bunch of queens, Indigenous queens, to go and dance, pre present at Broken Heel, which is an event that takes place in Broken Hill. We did a wonderful, as part of Melbourne Fashion Week, did a wonderful parade through Melbourne Central. But again, that's like questioning gender, body, what are we doing? And they did, um, we had an end of year event yesterday and they actually you know, showcased some of the cockatoo hats and the shapes and the forms. But again, it's really important that we do think about what it is we're designing, who we're designing it for and how are they going to wear it and feel that's part of their identity. So, And I'm also, <laughs> and then I will close... I'm also beyond. Um, Go for your life. I'm also beyond the, 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 this discussion too. Like, I'm all about formative action plan. Like, it's great to have a pa panel. It's great to hear other people's different, differing opinion, and it's important that we have difference. But I go, okay, and then what? And so then, what does that space look like? Um, that's great, but that. I'm like, good for you if that gives you a great pat on the back and if that creates more fantastic opportunities, especially for LGBTQ plus Indigenous mob, that's fantastic. But then there is a whole other world that's been like for people of colour of trans or LGBTQ plus people of colour just in general to be visible, to be seen, to have the opportunity and time and space to create their own narrative, to create their own voice, than to be able to challenge and make people uncomfortable and make themselves uncomfortable in terms of challenging bias and, and um, preconceived ideas and uh, certain fears, because we do operate on fears and prejudices and being honest and open to have those difficult conversations. Because everyone's like, I'm not racist because I, yeah, but I, I included one person of colour. Or I included, I'm not homophobic because I included um, one trans person for my, for my um, collection. And you're like, and what? And what? The rest of the world's been doing it for a long time now. So it's, I think, I'm interested in to see what that space beyond that looks like. And, and then how do you... Taking that, you know, it was more than just a response. It was them yep. having to question a lot of that. I and work with the Indigenous yes, people themselves. Yes, but then how do you create and show people the financial equality 
ecology and economy to create their own sense of empowerment and self-determination within that sector. Can I, can I, yeah. well, I just have a little thing about box ticking um, that, that you were mentioning and it, it is a really interesting thing because um, all of us um, used to work with a girl a lot. She was at Chadwick Models, Emily C, Aboriginal model from Perth originally, won a lot of awards, was in every um, fashion parade um, that you could poke a stick at, um, never mentioned that she was an Aboriginal girl. And now it's like, oh, okay, we've got to do this now. Let's tick some boxes and get some Aboriginal models in our, in our thing. But actually she ha was modelling for years, just modelling without a box tick. And I, 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 I myself, um, as a creative in the fashion industry, I want that again. I don't want the box tick about who's in there or what they're in there for. I just want the general... I just want it all just to happen. I want that day to come where it's not a box tick. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you what you're saying. But also, too, I think it's people's personal uh, identities. Like, I would say I'm a, I'm a proud Indigenous woman, but first and foremost before I'm an actor. Um, and I would before that then say I'm a human being. So, yeah, on that level, absolutely, I think we can be... Uh, we should be thinking on that on that next meta language and an international forth, foresight and forward thinking. But then I think, like, we forget that you guys can't operate without acknowledging and knowing that you need Indigenous peoples. Like, we are here. We still exist. We have not died. We are 80,000-year-old culture. We are still speaking language, still practising culture. That also needs to be included in terms of when you're talking about Australian identity in an international space. I totally agree. Most definitely. Um, can I throw to any questions? Oh, so many questions. Justin, another question. It's like you're a plant. You're like a plant. Yeah, I can do Um, I'm really interested in uh, just going back to uh, the film project that you're involved in and um, it's going to be seen at this amazing event in Hong Kong that you've all been part of and it's going to be shown to people that are within the industry. What is the next point that that film goes to so it just doesn't get seen by people who are already open, already like, yep, that's great, I love that already. It's like it's got to get out there and that it just doesn't stop. Can, I, can I answer that bit first? It'll be on the side of a building, uh -huh. first of all. It'll be in a public space and it also will be on YouTube. It'll also be entered into many, many uh, fashion film festivals around the world. Um, so we, we're going to promote... I'm going to square now the shit out of it. Good. Um, because it ha because it has to be, you know, and that's that's why we're doing it. And now, and then it's coming back here. So it's everything that you do, especially as an indigenous woman. Everything that I do, it's important to remember that it's about legacy building. It's not about me. At times, it might feel it's about me, but it's not. Um, <laughs> and and 
you know, as a, as a performer, as an individual contractor, I also know that the work that I do is hopefully paving the way for the, another person to come along and, and do it better than I am. And in terms of coming back and positioning it here, how powerful for it to have been international and then being able to have that launch pad to create that sense of empowerment for the mob back here. So it's going, this can be done and this is the response and let us see more of this kind of development and co-collaboration. And then let's, I hope this inspires new Indigenous emerging designers and new Indigenous emerging talent. And like, you know, it's a hard industry. I would not want to be in fashion. Like, heck man, you guys got it harder than actors. Like, you know, but... I, we, we're all working together as artists, collaborating amazing work, and I hope that continues in its legacy. And okay, yeah, I have, uh, I'm just, I have to move on, I'm sorry. Okay, yeah, I just well, want to make sure that the, the people who are not in the know, they get to see it and oh. they get to understand it's not just, ends up just preaching to the choir. Of course, I, and I, that, I that totally understand, and that's an in incredibly good question. Yeah, there. and you, the thing is though, with, with, it's not preaching though, in terms of its message, people have to be open to listening. Deep listening is a very act of reconciliation. So it's about if you really truly are invested into reconciling and understanding more about our people and culture, everything about who we are as Aboriginal people, like we're not your enemy, we're your brothers and sisters. We're connected to you in more ways than one. And in that relationship, you, you like, Come to us, learn from us, because everything that you will learn starts with a yarn and a cup of tea. And this, hopefully, because I'm a very visual person, and I'm of too, like, there, there's some of that story. Come talk to us. Come have a yarn. Come sit next to us, and then we'll share some of that with you, Mom. Well, well said. And we've done lots of yarns and lots of cups of tea <laughs> over this film. Um, maybe a glass of wine or two. Um, thank you, Sharina. Um, I have to move on. Um